You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. So glad to see you. All you prayers out there, please pray that my voice lasts. My wife and I share everything. And uh, she's, had a, she's had a scratchy throat, and uh, so she kindly gave it to me. Um, a very warm welcome to all of you. And if you're newer to Westside, I see a few new faces. A very especially warm welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, this is, this is uh, Westside Church. Westside Church is not a building. It's not an institution. It's a group of people who love Jesus and uh, want to make a difference in their sphere of influence for his sake. Uh, not, for, not for our name, but for his name and for his glory. Um, a couple more things I'd like to talk about. They didn't get in the announcement reel. One is this Wednesday is the first Wednesday in August. And so we do something on the first Wednesday night, and we call it First Wednesday. It's so original. And so what it is is, is, it, is our attempt to try to do away with a lot of meetings during the month. So uh, we believe in prayer. That's one of our cornerstones here at Westside. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship, and to prayer. And so we believe in prayer. And when, when there's crises happening, we're going to pray more. Uh, but right now, uh, monthly, at 6.30 in this room, uh, we have people uh, pray. Now, we didn't. We, we usually shut it down during July. There's a lot of extra things uh, going on during the summer. Uh, so we haven't met since the 1st of June. So I encourage if, you, you, if you're part of Westside Church, if God has called you to be part of this church, uh, come and join us uh, for prayer at 6.30 in here. It goes by quick. If you can't make it right at 6.30, come in late. Uh, nobody's going to chastise you or anything like that. Uh, I've, I, I praise God when... Uh, like. People who, who are working outside, they come in in muddy clothes and dirty clothes and they make it here with only 15 minutes to go or something. Thank you for coming. Thank you for making the attempt to get here and to be part of what we're doing. And then after that, we have our leadership meeting. Uh, we strongly believe in raising up a generation of leaders. You're all leaders. You're not all leaders in the church, but you're all leaders. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, God has called you to be salt and light in this world. That is leadership. And so that's the, probably what I consider one of my most important meetings of the month is to impart vision, uh, what's coming ahead for Westside, things we need to be praying into, uh, some training and those kind of things. And that goes quickly as well. And then after that, we have our individual team meetings. So we try to do it all in one night. It is a long night. It does make for a long night. But um, if you just come to prayer, it's an hour. If you come to prayer and leadership, it's two hours. And then if you have meetings like that, then... Just be thankful that you only have one during the month. That's why we do that. So, <clears throat> um, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, this church is not a church in isolation. In the New Testament, we see every local church. You, you won't find one single church in the New Testament that was not connected to an outside team of seasoned ministers, people that we call apostolic ministry, Ephesians chapter 4 ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, those kind of anointings uh, to come in uh, from the outside. When Paul spoke to the Corinthians, he spoke some quite harsh stuff to them. And he didn't say, we're going to take away your charter, we're going to take away your membership, we're going to remove you from your building. He didn't say any of that. He said, I appeal to you. He goes, you know I loved you. You know I was like a father to you. I appeal to you to listen to me. You know what? They listened to him. I love that. 
And so we are in relationship with people outside of uh, Westside. Our main uh, team that we relate to is called New Covenant Ministries International. And uh, three or four times a year, we'll have some people come in. And uh, this uh, coming weekend, next weekend, Thursday night and Sunday, uh, Brian and Rachel Barr will be here. And as many of you know them. If you don't know them, uh, Brian's, uh, Terry's and my son. And uh, he planted a church in Houston about eight years ago. And they are a lot larger than our churches already. And they're doing a great job making an impact into the Bay Area of Houston. And uh, he loves Jesus, and he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's probably spoken into this church more than anybody else from the outside. And uh, we, those of us who have been around a long time, have watched him grow up in ministry. So I encourage you to make every effort to be here. Uh, that's, it's not a guest speaker. It's somebody who knows this church, has seen us in snapshots over the years. Uh, this is what Terry and I do when we go out to other churches. We see churches... Uh, like today, and then it'll go back a year later, and then a year later. So we see these things. You can uh, really benefit from outside inputs. In fact, you guys need outside input too. You, the reason why is because you can't see your own blind spots. I mean, think about that. You can't see your own blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. And so uh, outside input, objectivity, and those kind of anointings that we really can grow from and be enlarged in. So that's coming up next week, and I encourage you to be uh, part of that. Um, I am excited that, not that we're almost finishing, but I, I've been excited about this series we've done over the summer called Mist. And uh, I was intrigued when I first heard about it, and I said, I, wanna, I heard about somebody else doing it, and I said, I want to do that too. Uh, to take some verses in Scripture that have been taken out of context. They've been misquoted or misused or misunderstood, possibly. And so today, uh, we're going to continue on that one, but I'm going to do it a little bit different than I have uh, for the last several months. I'm going to actually just read a passage of Scripture without comment, and then I'm going to go through the same passage again with comment. And let the scripture, let the Bible speak for itself. And uh, I'm, I'm halfway in there. I'll tell you what the verse is that we missed or sometimes is misused. And uh, it's not, I'm not going to do it like I have before. So uh, agreeing with Paul that the Lord would open our hearts and open our, our, uh, ourselves up to the truth of God's word. We cannot do that by our own. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, working among us. He will lead us into all truth, the Bible says. So I'm going to read this passage, and my prayer is that you will be encouraged, that you'll be challenged just from reading a, a healthy section of Scripture. And if you love Jesus, I pray that that this Scripture will just enlarge your thinking about Him. And then as we talk about it more, even even more so. so Paul says this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. 
Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Isn't that awesome? Amen. And amen. My prayer is that we will get this inside of us. I'm going to talk about Jesus today. If you didn't notice there, I want to talk about Jesus uh, in this passage. But uh, as we've said every week, when we look at Scripture, when we look at Scripture, uh, we want to be careful to interpret it faithfully. And so, first of all, we approach God's Word in humility. We don't know everything. And if you find somebody who says they know everything, run away as fast as you can. Or smack them up the side of the head and teach them something. Uh, we want to be people who walk. Yeah, hit them gently. Smack them gently. Uh, we want to be people who walk in humility. We don't know it all. That's why we say over and over and over, we're not it as a church. We're part of it. Like Paul said in Romans 12, we are part of it. We're part of his body, individually members uh, one of another. And we read from the text, not into the text. We don't take our favorite little philosophy out here and try to find a verse somewhere that makes it fit in, makes the Bible fit in with us. We read from the text and receive from it what it says. And then we always uh, seek to apply Scripture in, in its context. We don't take Scriptures out of context. You know, you can prove almost anything you want by taking Scripture out of context. And then we let Scripture interpret Scripture. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. Part of that is what we call a whole Bible theology. If there's a theme, say there's a theme of grace uh, in here, we want to see what the whole Bible says about that. Not just take one little part of it and then build a whole theology or a whole uh, religion out of that one little thing. We want to take it, uh, uh, what the whole Bible has to say. And in anything that's foundational, the Bible speaks a lot about those things. And then, uh, most importantly, at the end, we apply Scripture to our life. Scripture is like a big mirror that reflects our soul. My dad used to say when I was growing up, he said, man couldn't uh, have written the Bible if he would, and he wouldn't have written the Bible if he could. That means even, even if man wanted to write Scripture, this is a project that took 1,600 years to complete 
uh, by about 40 different authors, most of whom never knew each other, yet there is continuity throughout. This is everything that we need for life and faith and, 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 and godly living. Everything that God deemed necessary for us is in His Word. And so I encourage you to become students of the Word. But even if we could have undertaken a project like that, we wouldn't have because the Bible reveals mankind for who we really are. When we write stories, we're the heroes. When, we, when God writes a story, He's the hero. And we understand that we are the created, not the creator. And we understand that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can even understand it? We started out created in His image and then sin entered the picture. And, and now we are born into sin and we need redemption. God needs uh, needed to make a way for us to be uh, redeemed, to be bought back, to be repurchased, so to speak. So, going back through the scripture, um, I'm going to just highlight a few of these things in this passage. Number one, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. God Almighty, God Eternal, we have no idea I mean, well, we have an idea, but we have no concept of the vastness, of the limitlessness of, of Almighty God. We are finite, and He is eternal. He spoke the universe into existence, and yet He deemed uh, it necessary, or He desired to create us so that we could have a relationship with Him. He didn't need us. He didn't need us. He wanted us. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, we couldn't understand God, so He stepped out of eternity into time and space and became a human being. Jesus was born of a virgin. So He didn't have this sinful nature like every other person on the planet has from Adam and Eve. He was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So He didn't have this. So it's like, that's why He's referred to as the second Adam. He had a chance to do it. And I, I always wonder, I'll have to ask Him, if Adam actually could have done it at the beginning, uh, if he had, could have not sinned. We'll have to find that out when we get to heaven. But Jesus showed that He could have because Jesus uh, grew up sinless. He never sinned. And so Jesus endured temptation. He endured the things that we uh, go through. And so we could see his humanity, that God understands us. We could understand who God is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so uh, John 1, 1, uh, the apostle John says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is not only equal to God, Jesus is God. He's not just a picture of God, He is God. He is Almighty God. Number two, Jesus existed before anything was created, including Himself. He wasn't created. He always was. And if you can figure that one out, by the way, let me know. Because that's one of those things that we don't know in our knower because we are finite and He's infinite. We can't understand infinity. Remember when you were a little kid and you learned the concept you know, of infinity? You go, it keeps going? Well, when does it stop? 
You know, it's like it's almost you get this uh, panic attack that it keeps going and the universe keeps going and going. And you can go a million, trillion, billion miles and, and, and it still can go. And, you know, we don't understand these things. So we fully uh, don't fully understand God. But this is a big deal. It's a big deal. See, Paul was addressing the church in Colossae. That's why it's called Colossians. It's a letter to the church at Colossae. And he's uh, addressing an issue that was creeping its way into the local church and churches around. And it was called Gnosticism. And you don't hear much about that. It starts with a G, G-N-O-S, Gnosticism. And uh, it's, it's a philosophy that is a mixture of Christianity, a mixture of human wisdom, and a mixture of a few other religions. And so it was creeping its way and worming its way into the church. See, see this was about 35 years after Jesus rose up into heaven. And so, uh, you know, you get these guys that it's just the, the enemy's way. He starts to pervert and twist and, you know, add this here, add that in there into what we believe. And Jesus came. I love the song uh, today. He came to set us free. And if you ever find yourself being bound up by religion and rules added in so that you can find favor with God, run away from that too because Jesus came to set us free and Paul said it very simply and very deeply, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Jesus hated religion and hated the things that people added to. And so this Gnosticism was, was creeping in. They denied that Jesus was God uh, because Gnosticism... Uh, took on some human philosophies that all, anything spiritual was good and anything material was evil. So since we, you can touch, taste, and see and hold us, anything that you can see and handle is, is material. And so that is evil, but God and spiritual things are good. So Jesus could not have been a real person, otherwise he would have been evil. And so this kind of idea was creeping in. And the, and the idea that uh, you had to kind of add to and, and create a few extra rules. Well, yeah, that, that's free. Salvation's free. But you've got to do this, this, and this too. And that was worming its way in. And the one that is the most insidious and, and the one that I don't like, probably, well, maybe the deity of Christ is the biggest one, but the, uh, the other one that I don't like is you had to have some special knowledge. So they added in human wisdom. So... If you can just understand it this way, you know, we've, this is all Christianity here, but we've added this little list of things over here. And if you can explain it the same way we do and use the same words we do, and, you know, you got to do this over here, it's this special knowledge. You're not really saved unless you have this special knowledge like we do. We see that far too often uh, out there in the world presenting itself as Christianity, authentic Christianity, when it's simply an addition uh, created in the pit of hell. Number three, Jesus is supreme. Now, we're reading out of the New Living Translation today, and it says supreme, which is a good translation for the word. Virtually every other translation, King James, New King James, New American Standard, English Standard Version, Holman Christian Standard, all those say Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So, uh, this is actually our verse for mist. And it's not all that misused in the church or in this church. Uh, it's misused out there, particularly by some cults, uh, presenting themselves as Christian or following Christ. And so 
Um, in fact, one of the cults out there has their own version of their Bible, and they added, they inserted a word in here. And this is, this is what it reads, uh, the firstborn over all creation, and they inserted the word other in there, the firstborn over all other creation. In other words, Jesus was created, and then he created all other creation. So Jesus was the firstborn of all other creation. That's not what that's talking about. That's taking away the deity of Christ. That's a huge thing out there. Jesus is God. God Almighty. God Eternal. It's amazing. So this is what I tweeted because of this. I was kind of getting irked. And so sometimes, sometimes when I tweet things, I get is because I got irked. So I said this. Much of what is out there passing itself off as Christianity in no discernible way resembles what Jesus actually taught or what the early church genuinely lived out. So when we want to follow Christ, we look at the things that Christ did and the things that he said. And his disciples, the, that early church, how they uh, established things. We don't want to go back there. That's, the, that's a baby church. We should be 2,000-year-old mature church. We should be way beyond that. Uh, sometimes we'd just be happy to get back to where they were. But we actually should mature beyond that. And so... It goes on to say here in verse 16, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities. In the unseen world, everything was created through him and for him. So, now the materialists only say, they only believe in what is material, what they can see. And you'll see that today. A lot of people who are atheists or uh, strict evolutionists, they say, listen, uh, science has all the answers. If I can't quantify it, if I can't you know, do all this kind of stuff, then I don't believe in it. Jesus said, if you want to come to God, you've got to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because there's both. There's the seen and the unseen world. It's amazing. So, verse number 4. Jesus existed, or point number 4 in verse 17. Jesus existed before anything else. Didn't we already say this? Yeah, Paul already said it too. He's reiterating it here because he wants to drive the point home here. In fact, this whole passage is one of the most significant and theologically profound passages on who Jesus is. So, uh, Jesus existed before anything else, and it says he created all things. He holds all things together. Now, that was a word given to me. So a friend said, when in, uh, probably 35 years ago, driving around my Datsun B210, um, the cheapest car ever sold in America uh, that Terry and I had, and this thing was, there was a beater. After 30,000 miles, those things were trash. And so, uh, anyway, I just made it to this men's advance. And he goes, brother... Just trust in God. He holds all things together. All right? So that's my Dotson B210 verse. So just think. The universe, according to the laws of physics, should be flying apart. Every atom in your body should be uh, flying apart, repelling itself. He holds all things together. I don't exactly know how that works, but I'm glad it does. So, and then... This could probably be its own point, but I didn't make it a point, but um, I want to talk about it. He said that Jesus is also head of the church, which is his body. I'm not the head of the church here. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of 
his church, all believers who from all time who've said yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the head. We are not. He's the head. We're the body. And as the body, we all have a function. You all have a function. Every part of your body has a function. It might be seen or unseen. But every part of your body has a function. Every part of your body is necessary. Every part of this local body is necessary. So if you're not using your part to serve the the body, to use your gift and your strength to serve the body, then we're missing something. Suppose we have a finger finger here that you're the last digit, somebody else is the second to the last digit, and the third to the last digit, they go, no, I don't want to be part. So then you have just this hand, and then there's two fingers kind of floating one inch off your hand around all over the place because this person is not doing their part. All right? So we all have to do our part, whatever it is. And you might be the appendix or the spleen. I don't even know what a spleen does. And so you might have a function that people never really fully understand and they don't really see. But each of you is part of it. That's why we gain the riches of the body of Christ because you use your gifts to serve. I use my gifts to serve and together we all can grow. None of us does everything well. We know that. And so when we use and contribute as he has blessed us. Paul said it in Romans 12, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. By the way, that's one of the reasons we have small groups in this church. First of all, it was the pattern in the early church. They met in the temple and from house to house. So we have our corporate gatherings where we hear the Word of God, where we celebrate Jesus together, we worship Him. And then we also meet in smaller gatherings. A small group is a group of 10 to 12 people. Anything over 12 or so, that's not a small group anymore. It's now a medium group. And we really want small groups. The reason is because after, after 11, 12 people, you don't really have a chance to be known. You can hide in a small group of 25. You can hide there. Uh, But we really want to be known, and we want to know others. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to pray for each other, to know each other's names, their kids' names, and to have this sense of fellowship. You can get lost in a church. I mean, over the summer, our attendance hasn't dropped. Usually churches drop in the summer, and our attendance hasn't hasn't dropped over the summer. In fact, we've slightly grown a bit, and, and, and God is doing something here. But you can get lost in a church that has three services every weekend. You need to be in a small group. It's healthy. And so in, a, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to start announcing our new small groups for, for the fall. Last year, we had about 26, 27 of them. And so there's going to be one that you'll find that'll be a good fit for you. Number five, Jesus, he is first in everything. All right? Jesus is first in everything. Now, this is a... Uh, we could probably take out the he there. That's a... Not necessary. I don't know how that say there. I know what I did. I wanted all my points to start with the same letter, J. So I, Jesus is like this instead of he. So, and I added that in, but forgot to take away the he. So, Jesus is first in everything. Now, this is an attribute of God. It's the, it's the supremacy of God. That means first place. Not necessarily first in lineage. Like um, David, he was, this, he was the youngest of six or seven brothers, but he was first. The Bible even says, acknowledges him as firstborn. He has that right, that supremacy over uh, Jacob, over Esau, even though Esau was older. And so, you know, we see this. And so Jesus 
is uh, supreme. He's first over all. That's one of God's attributes. There's many attributes of God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's present everywhere. Uh, one of my favorite ones is the immutability of God, probably just because I can pronounce it. And that means, you know what the immutability of God means? I, the Lord, do not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad that he doesn't renege on his contracts? Aren't you glad that he's the same, that he's consistent, that he's always there? He brings the sun up every morning, and uh, he, he, he makes every day new and special. He is awesome. He is the same. So uh, uh, a big attribute of his is he is um, supreme, first overall. If you want to read a good, it's a little book, Arthur Pink. Arthur Pink, it's probably about 70, 80 years old. And it's a little book on the attributes of God. It's a good book to study, maybe even to go through in your small group. Um, but this is the firstborn in rank, not necessarily lineage. Lineage. Charles Hodge says this about the sovereignty of God. The Greek word for Lord is indeed used in Scripture in the sense of master as, and as a mere honorary title as in English, sir. Like, you know, in England they go, yes, my Lord. You know, that's that kind of Lord. But it's also, on the other hand, is the translation of Adonai, Supreme Lord, an incommunicable name of God, and the substitute for Jehovah, a name the Jews would not pronounce. When we're singing Yahweh, Yahweh, that's, the, that's just the consonants of Jehovah, because we don't actually know how it was uh, pronounced. It is in this sense that Christ is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord God. And so he is supreme. David had an understanding of this. Listen to his prayer hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was born. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom, we adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and even given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Isn't that awesome? The one we get to worship is supreme. Number six, Jesus made peace with everything. Paul says, in heaven and on earth, by means of Christ's blood on the cross, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, He's brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And if you approach God with your head held low, thinking that you have to worm your way, grovel your way into his presence, you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is, I have sinned, Jesus did not sin, ever. 
Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for me. His death on the cross, his substitutionary atonement for me, purchased me back. And when we say yes to Jesus, make him Lord of our life, God declares you righteous. He declares you righteous. You have ne- There's not one mark against you. You are justified. Not, not a full definition, but as a kid I learned, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. And justification is way more than that. It's just like if here's a zero balance and I'm way negative from all my sin and God just made it back to zero. No, actually justification is way up here because then he gives us all the rights and the privileges of being his children. But God declares you righteous. And if you have an understanding of that, and you just say, it's God by faith, I believe what, you, what you're saying here. I receive Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I confess him out loud with my mouth, with my words, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're saved. Now you can go through the motions and not really believe it and everybody thinks you're saved. And you start following all the list of rules so that you look good and you feel good about yourself. But that's not what it is. It's truly bending your heart, the knee, bending your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you might have gone 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in church and people think, of course, they're a Christian. Of course, they know all the right things to say. But until you actually say yes to Jesus, God doesn't declare you righteous. You can do it right where you're seated right now. There's no magic formula. There's not really a sinner's prayer in the Bible. There's a lot of sinners who prayed, but none of them are the same. They are simply people acknowledging Jesus as Lord, supreme. And he did what he came to accomplish. And what that was, was to reconcile us back to him. Some of you might be deciding that right now where you're seated. That's the gospel. That's the good news. When we close in a few minutes, we're going to pray. Uh... And, and we're going to sing a song. And we're going to take communion and bring our offerings as part of our worship. All those things. But if you'd like prayer, if you'd like someone to explain that to you a little bit more and maybe just take a few minutes and pray with you, please come to the front after the service. We'll be happy to pray with you and lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 12, And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. That's another misused verse, by the way, but we're not going to take a week on it. A lot of times we say, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see. You know, And we get all praise, and let's lift Jesus higher, he's going to draw people. That's not actually what that's saying. Yes, we praise him, and yes, we, we worship him, but Jesus is talking about being lifted up on the cross and dying. So it's like holding Jesus up on the cross around. We don't want to redo that again. We want to point people to Jesus, yes. So that's the whole sermon on that one verse. Um, Here's the question for us. How can we keep Jesus first? How can we make him supreme in our life? Paul gives us the answer in verse 23. Number one, continue to believe this truth. Continue. 
Stand firm in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. And if there's any, if there's any battle cry for us as believers, stand firm. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Hold on to the rock. And sometimes we're being tossed around. How can we hold on the rock? Here's what I, a picture I got during worship a few years ago. It's like you're out in a bay and there's a huge storm and you see just a few feet away is a, is a buoy. And, and what you want to do is you want to try to swim over there and hang on to the buoy. Well, the buoy is being tossed all over the place. But you know there's a steel cable that's anchored to the bedrock of the ocean floor. And yes, you might get tossed around a bit because this is a wicked, evil old world. But you hold on to the one who will not let you go. The one who is steadfast and faithful. Stand firm. Continue. Keep on keeping on. Those kind of things. That is directly connected to our will. I choose to praise you, O God. David says in the Psalms over and over and over, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I love the NLT version. Translation of that is, Praise the Lord, I tell myself. Like you smack yourself upside the head and say, I will continue. I'll stand firm. I'm not letting go of this thing. I don't care how much I get hit. I'm not letting go. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm anchored in His Word. I'm encouraged and supported by the fellowship of brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what Paul's telling us here. A couple of quick uh, scriptures, and we'll close here. This is Paul encouraging Timothy, and then Paul encouraging us. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. But you... West side are men and women of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Jesus Christ who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. That's our part in the deal. And you know what? You can't even do that without God's strength and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Then no one can find fault with you from now on until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. In Hebrews 10, I think this was Paul. We don't know for sure. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we say we have. Another version says, if you say you have hope, hold on to that. Hope is the big one. It's one of the big three. Faith, hope, love. The big three, right? We always talk about love because that's the biggest one. But what about faith and hope? Those are big, big ones. All right? Hold on to the hope you say you have. Don't let it go. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's why we need each other. One of the other translations says, let us uh, think of ways to spur one another along toward love and good deeds. I love that word spur. It's just something about it. 
See some big old cowboy clanking on. You know what, who doesn't like that? Who doesn't like that word spur? Is horses. Horses don't like that. Spur one another along toward, come on, you can do it. And sometimes when somebody gets in your face, don't be offended. Thank God that they love you enough to tell you the truth. That's why we need each other. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Solomon said. Man, oh man, I love Jesus. I love him more every time I read this passage. My prayer is that you will love him and give honor to him through your life. Not in religion, but in the hope and the faith and the love that you have for him. Amen. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this wonderful, rich passage about Jesus. I pray that you would help us to open up our lives, reflect on our life before you right now in these few moments we have here. Maybe places where we need to repent. Maybe places where we need to adjust and move on into God's grace. Maybe to a complete understanding that Jesus is the answer to all of life's challenges. We're looking for every other help besides Jesus. We look to books and TV shows and famous people and human wisdom and philosophy instead of looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, thank you. Thank you so much. I pray that you bless us here as we continue to reflect and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Steve. We're going to stand as a family. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to take communion. Communion's Jesus said, as often as you will do this in remembrance of me. And he took the, the bread, broke it uh, to represent his body broken for all of us. And the, the cup of the new covenant saying, take this and remember the new covenant that you've committed your life to Christ. So let's stand, let's worship Jesus. But when he says this, we're also instructed that we need to prepare ourselves and do it uh, in all seriousness and not lightheartedness. So maybe there's a time where you need to sit for a moment and go, what is keeping Jesus from being number one in my life? To, for, from being supreme in my life, from being first in my life. And let's correct that. Let's do it God's way because that's the best way because we are His creation and He has a plan that we need to fall in line with. So let's take this seriously. Let's take a moment and really ponder. Jesus, are you truly first in my life? And if not, let's make a change. And we're here to pray for you at the end of service. If you'd like prayer for anything, or as Steve said, you need a few more answers and understandings what it truly means to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life.
Amen. Amen. Church, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Amen. Okay, until next time, if you like prayer for anything, please come forward. Love you guys. Great to see you. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day.